Good morning, City Church. I'm not here with you as part of the City Church family. I'm actually being a father dad. I'm on the road with my daughter, Allie, as we're checking out two universities that are kind of on her short list as she determines where she'll be spending the next four years of her life. Now, while I'm away, Pete Mulet will be teaching in my place. As you know, the mission statement of City Church is simply put, our purpose is to call people to follow Jesus and to serve others. Part of this for City Church then means we partner with Pete Mulet and the rest of the staff at Chi Alpha Campus Ministries on grounds at UVA as they do the exact same thing, calling students to follow Jesus and to serve others. So Pete Bulette will be teaching this morning while I'm away. So at this time, would you give a warm City Church welcome to Pete Bulette? I travel with some groupies, so it's good to be here with you guys today. Hope you're doing well. It's my honor to bring God's word. Can we pray? Gracious God, King of glory, we bow our hearts before you. And we ask that you would speak a life-giving word to the depths of our souls. That Jesus would be glorified. That we would know Jesus better and love him more. And so we say, speak, Holy Spirit. Glorify Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series called following Jesus. And so Pastor Pete said, I'm not going to tell you what to speak on. I'm just giving you the topic, following Jesus. And if you can't find something to speak on with that, then I can't help you. And I said, if I can't find something to speak on with that, I need help. So, um, but as I've thought about it, it, it became clear what I feel like the Lord would have me speak on today. So I'm excited to bring the message with you, or to you today. Have you ever been in a situation where there was, things were going on that were a little, it was a little bit confusing for you, but then all of a sudden you got one key piece of information, and once you had this key piece of information, it's like everything that you'd been experiencing suddenly made sense. Have you ever been in one of those moments? I remember uh, whenever I was dating now my wife Amy, I had one of those moments. We were um, out on a date on a Friday night, and we were at a place called Steak and Shake. If there's any Midwesterners here, you know Steak and Shake. That's right. That, that deserves an amen. That's what I'm saying, you know. So we were at Steak and Shake, and we were having a date, and at the end of the time at Steak and Shake, it had been a nice dinner. She insisted on paying. And I was a little bit taken back by it, but I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to argue with it, you know. And so, so I, I said, okay, yeah, you, sure, you can pay. And so we go up to the counter, and this was, you know, this was about 18, 19, 20 years ago. We go up to the counter, and she pulls out her credit card, gives them the credit card, and they said, sorry, we don't take credit card. And so I was like, well excuse me, I got some cash, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I paid, and, and, and so then we left, and we went back to her place, I was walking her to her door, and she said, oh, yeah, um, can we talk, and I said, sure, um, yeah, we can talk, and, and then she started she, to talk about how she'd just gotten out of a long-term relationship, and she didn't feel like she was in a place to give her whole self to a relationship at this point, to which I replied, wow, there's more of you? And I, said, and I said, I've been pretty content with half, which is very lame. Uh, don't ever say that. <laughs> it was meant to be a compliment, but it sounded very desperate. Anyways, um, <laughs> and then as we're having this conversation, it dawns on me, that's why she wanted to pay. And so I said, this is why you wanted to pay, which is also something you should never say. Because she's like, she said, I was thinking in my head, you should not say stuff like that. 
And so it all made sense, this one bit of information. The talk was coming, it, the rest of the night made lots of sense. Well, what we're going to look at today is a parable that really helps make a lot of sense it, it, to, to, to the experience of what it looks like to follow Jesus, because the disciples were discovering that Jesus was who they thought he was initially, but yet didn't fit all of their expectations. And so Jesus told them this parable to give them this key bit of information so they could make sense of their world, so they could understand one of the most key topics of the Christian life, and it will also help us make sense of our lives and understand a key topic of the Christian life as well. The topic is this, the kingdom of God. If someone were to come up to me and ask me, what is the message of Jesus? What was it that Jesus taught about? While he was on earth, it would be extremely easy to answer. The message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. And so let me show this to you. I want to just show you some scriptures that kind of help build my case and prove my point. So the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 17. This is the beginning, right before the Sermon on the Mount. And he does a couple of things before the Sermon on the Mount. But it says this, from that Time. So from this point forward, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, what did Jesus walk around the earth talking about? He said, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, Mark, the gospel writer of Mark says this Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Well, what was the gospel of God? The gospel of God was this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in the gospel of Luke, Jesus shows up at at, at the synagogue and he, he gets a scroll and he unrolls the scroll to the point of a messianic prophecy that was about what it would be like when the kingdom of God arrives. And he reads this prophecy, he rolls up the scroll, he puts it away, and he says this, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. They're like, what? So that begs the question, what were the expectations of the kingdom of God? And what what does kingdom of God mean? Well, I am glad you asked, okay? So here's what we need to understand is that if you grew up Jewish, you talked a lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was a term that you, 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 you had great hopes for because it was a term that in the intertestamental period became synonymous for the great day of the Lord. It was, it was all the prophetic hopes of the Old Testament were pushed into the great day of the Lord that was synonymous with the kingdom of God. So they would talk about, well, when the kingdom of God comes... It was like the moment of great anticipation. And here's some things that the Old Testament says. Go ahead, next slide. The Old Testament says is going to happen when the kingdom of God shows up. It's going to be the day of salvation for the nations. And by the way, there are many, many more scripture references. I'm just giving you one for each, okay? It's going to be the day of salvation for the nations. It's going to be a day of judgment for the wicked. And so all the evildoers will face their day. And that definitely included the, the, the Roman Empire, okay? The age of the Spirit. The day of the Lord or the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom would be marked by the lavishing of the Spirit on all people. That they would receive new hearts. That their heart of stone would be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that they would be regenerated by the Spirit. The Spirit of God would would be poured out on people to empower people with the Holy Spirit. And so it would be an age of the Spirit. It would be the the day of justice for the oppressed. They would finally have their day, and shalom would be restored. In Isaiah 11, it talks about how the lion would lay down with the lamb. This picture of this shalom, of everything coming together and flourishing. It would be the day where the kid would play with the cobra, and it would be safe. That's the picture of Isaiah 11. That's the day of the kingdom of God. And it would all be wrapped up into this. It would be ushered in by the Messiah, which is translated in the New Testament, the Christ, the anointed one, that the Messiah would usher in the kingdom of God on earth. And so this was the prophetic anticipation of what would happen when the kingdom of God would come. So what we 
understand is that their view of the kingdom of God was something like this. They saw that the, that the kingdom of God would come and it would be, okay, so this age, I'm sorry, my handwriting's terrible, but that there would be a dramatic break, that there would be that the, this age, which is categorized by wickedness, suffering, strife, rebellion, would come to a cataclysmic end. And, and then there would be the age to come. That the age to come would arrive on the scene and it would be the end of this age and it would be the beginning of a new age. And this age that is marked by the, the stamp of the enemy would be overtaken, would come to its dramatic conclusion, would be judged by the age to come, right? Judgment would happen on all the wickedness, strife, rebellion. And then there would be the age to come, which would be bear the mark of the Messiah, which would be the age of the Spirit. It would be the age of, of new life, of restoration, of shalom, and it would all be ushered in by the Messiah. Bear the mark of the Messiah. And so this is how the, the Old Testament people started to reckon. This was the expectation of what the kingdom of God would be like. Then there's 400 years of silence. There's not a prophet in the land for 400 years. And they're waiting for all the prophetic anticipations to come to pass. They're waiting and waiting. And then there's this weird guy who comes out of the desert named John the Baptist. And he says, I am the servant of the Lord who has been called to prepare the way of the Lord. The kingdom of God is near, so prepare and repent. And of course, their view of the kingdom of God is that it's going it's to mark the, this cataclysmic sudden eruption on the scene. And so they're going to repent because they got to get ready for the age to come. Are you guys following me with this? And then people start getting baptized in repentance. They're ready for the Messiah to step forward at any moment, for the cataclysmic event to happen. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and he starts healing people because it's evidence of the kingdom of God. So he starts healing people, giving new life, bringing restoration. Then he starts casting demons out of people. And he says, if I cast a demon out, you'll know that the kingdom of God has arrived. And he is saying that in me, the kingdom of God has arrived, that the kingdom of God has broken in to this age in me. I am the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of the kingdom of God. I am the king of the kingdom. That is what his ministry is saying, now here's the problem though. The problem is the Roman Empire is still ruling. The problem is where's the great sudden moment where this side gets wicked, the wicked get judged, and then, and then the age to come. How, how do we put these things together? And that's why Jesus told the parable we're going to read now. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to have Abigail, one of my staff workers at UVA, come read the parable. So it's Matthew 13 verse 24, and Abigail is going to direct you from there. So it's in this Melu that Jesus tells this parable, and he's going to tell this parable to reframe how they are to understand the kingdom, which will reframe how we understand the kingdom ourselves. on Jesus told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field but while everyone is sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away when the wheat sprouted and formed heads then the weeds also appeared the owner's servants came to him and said sir didn't you sow good seed in your field where then did the weeds come from an enemy did this he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. All that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went to the house. His disciples came to him and said, 
Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one man who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and all, and they will weed out the, his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So, it is in this context that Jesus tells the parable. And basically, well, it starts by saying this, the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, I'm going to tell you about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to put the missing piece together so then you can understand your world in wheat and weeds, okay? So you can make sense of the world you live in. And, and basically what he lays out is what theologians call the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. He says there's two dimensions to the kingdom of God. There's the dimension of the now of the kingdom of God. That means that there is a present reality within the world. It's, it's the, 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 the parable tells of a, of a farmer who is God in this or the son of man in this who is sowing seed into the field that as the seed takes hold that the sons of the kingdom arise or says the people of the kingdom arise these are people who now are a a part of the kingdom but then here is the, the the aha moment for the disciples there are other people as well there are weeds among the wheat okay so Basically, what he's saying, I'm going to draw a new chart here, and again, please excuse my lack of drawing. He is saying that the nature of the kingdom is more like this. Whoops. That the, the kingdom was introduced in the person of Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, ministry, life, that the kingdom of God, the age to come, has invaded this age. We can put the cross right there. Has invaded this age. But what will happen is there will be wheat, the people of the age to come, that has invaded the current age, and yet this age has not met its ultimate judgment yet. They will grow up side by side. That's our present reality. But there is a day coming when judgment, whoops, judgment will come. There will be a harvest, and at that point, the weeds will be pulled out and put over into destruction, right? And that the, eight, and the harvester will take all the wheat and harvest the wheat, and they will then shine like suns in glory. In other words, at that point, we will come into our ultimate salvation, our ultimate restoration, our ultimate glorification. There is a great day coming. This is the initiation of the kingdom. This is the consummation of the kingdom. Are you guys following? So, let me talk about how this impacts our experience. Our experience, I I talked about this at UVA, and I said, you know, I think last year was a great picture of the now and not yetness of the kingdom. Last year in Chi Alpha, we were seeing the, through the, work of Jesus in our fellowship, the age to come invading this age, and we were seeing people's lives powerfully transformed. We were seeing people experience shalom. We were seeing people lavished in the Holy Spirit, experiencing the age to come. And yet, if you lived in Charlottesville, you're very aware that there was another part of the story at UVA last year. I mean, it's always there. We were just more keenly aware of it. There was horrific things that happened at UVA. The, the tragic death of Hannah Graham. The injustice on St. Patrick's Day, Martise Johnson. The, the scandal of the Rolling Stones article that exposed the reality that, there, that, that sexual assault goes on on our campus. The 
story has all of its issues, right? But it brought to light a reality that happens on our grounds. And what you understand is that both of these are happening simultaneously on grounds within a couple square miles. There are two stories. There are two kingdoms. There's this age and there's the age to come simultaneously. I mean, you just watch the news in this past year. You have this age. I mean, you see the, the Paris shootings. You see the, uh, the Brussels bombings. You see the Syrian um, refugee crisis. And you're like, man, there is darkness in this world. It's marked by suffering and, and wickedness and, and evil. And yet, here's the other side of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. That all around the world, the age to come is breaking in to the darkness and people are getting saved all around the world. That people are experiencing the grace of God. That people are experiencing new life. They're experiencing freedom and restoration and reconciliation and the lavishing of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. And the age to come is doing marvelous things all around the world. Isn't that awesome? Because in the person of Jesus, the age to come has broken into the present. Now, that means that our life is marked by two realities. Um, Let let me give you a big theological word that kind of defines our our existence, okay? Um, Put it right in here. This is the word that, this is what theologians call (laughs) in-betweeners. I made that up. They don't call it that. We are people who are in-betweeners. We live in between the great and significant day of the initiation of the kingdom of God in the world. And yet, we live longing for the second coming, right? This is the first coming, and we long for the second coming when Jesus will come and bring to consummation everything that, that, that will fulfill the rest of the expectations of the prophetic hopes. And so we are in-betweeners. So that means that our experience is, is marked by a, a diverse and almost di- a dichotomy, if you will. On one side, we are people of great joy. Because we can live in the kingdom now. Our experience can be one of living under God's rule and reign, him as our king, now. And that, I mean, we could have people prayed up here over and over again. When people talk about when they stepped into the kingdom of God, when Jesus became their king, how their life changed, how they experienced new life, how the Holy Spirit transformed them from the inside out, how their life is different, and it's marked by a joy that cannot be defined by anything else other than the power of Jesus and the kingdom of God breaking into their darkness. It's a life of joy. But there's also another side to our reality. It's suffering and hostility and tribulation. Because, see, we are now part of this kingdom, the age to come, the kingdom of God. And yet we live among this age and the kingdom of darkness. And guess what? The people of this age are the, well, this age has animosity and hostility towards the age to come. And so we as Christians who live now in, in the middle of this age, but in this kingdom, should not be surprised when we experience suffering, when we experience hostility, and when there's tribulation that comes our way. Because this kingdom is hostile to this kingdom, and if you really live up here, there will be hostilities coming from here. And that should not surprise us. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It looks like experiencing the power of his resurrection and sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. In between. Now, there's two mistakes that we make as the church when it comes to the kingdom of God. There are some people who would tell you that the kingdom of God is just all now. And so if you're not experiencing victory in some area, in other words, if everything's not going, if you're not living in your utopia here on earth, then there's something wrong with your faith. You need to pray harder. You need to trust God more because clearly you're doing something wrong because the kingdom of God is now. So how dare you sniffle? 
Get rid of your eyeglasses because God's kingdom is now. You shouldn't need those. Now, we don't say it that way. But they're all kingdom now, people. And here's what that leads to. It leads to great disillusionment. Because they underestimate the fact we still live in this age and we were never guaranteed the consummation of our salvation on this side of the second coming. However, there's another mistake that's made and that is that people believe it's all not yet. And so they don't trust God to do anything. They have no expectation of seeing God do anything in their life or in the world. It's just hard and it's full of tribulation. But thank God the second coming is coming. Come, come Lord Jesus, right? And so they have this sense... That there is no expectation. And so, what does that mean? If, how do we live in the middle? Let me give you some other theological words of our experience in the, as in-betweeners. It's one of tension and ambiguity. Isn't that encouraging? but it matches your experience, doesn't it? It's one of tension and ambiguity. Let, let, me, let me give you some examples of this tension and ambiguity in your everyday life. Um, how about healing for one? Jesus shows up on the scene, and one of the evidences that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the kingdom of God is at hand, is that people are getting healed. It's one of the evidences of the kingdom. And how does he tell us to pray? He tells us to pray very simply in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. And so he tells us when, you, when somebody is sick, let me tell you how to pray. You don't need to add all the caveats. You don't need to give all the exceptions. You pray for my kingdom, my rule and reign to come in this situation. That's how we're to pray. Your kingdom come. We are to call out for the rule and reign of God to, to be manifest in the middle of this sickness. And so that's what we do with faith because we're called to pray with faith. And yet, um, I see a lot of medical doctors out here and yet here's the reality. Some people get healed and praise God when the kingdom of God like invades the now. You know, it's like, it's now! It's available to us now! And yet, Many don't. What do we do? Because, like, like my sister, who at 17 died of leukemia. I mean, we prayed, God, your kingdom come. Your rule and reign come. For months and months, and people all over the nation praying, and yet she died. We buried my sister. And you know what? My faith wasn't rocked because I understood God's kingdom is now, but there's also a sense that it is not yet. And so we are called to pray for God's kingdom now in faith and to walk in faith. And yet if it doesn't happen, we don't throw our theology out the window. Jesus doesn't work. No, because Jesus taught us that we live here with a not yet aspect, that there's a harvest coming. And one day all things will be made new. Everything will be brought right. And we can trust in that. But the next time someone gets diagnosed with leukemia, you know what I'm going to pray? Your kingdom come. Because that's what Jesus taught me to pray. I'm not going to give a lot of excuses. I'm going to pray for this to invade this. And yet I understand that there's a consummation that's coming. Let me give you another example. Let me give you an example of your own sanctification. You know... You know, we all battle sinful desires of the flesh, the Bible says. And so we, you know, you know, we could have prayer later and somebody come up, hey, I've got this addiction I'm wanting to get rid of. And, you know, you may have ten people go forward for prayers over their addiction and, like, four of them, like, they walk away and they're like, praise Jesus, I just got delivered from my addiction. 
And you're like, that is awesome. God, your kingdom come. And the power of the Spirit invades their life. The, the kingdom that is now, that's available to us through the lavishing of the Spirit, breaks the chains off their life, reorients the desires of their heart, and they walk away free. And then there's the rest of us. Who, because of the Spirit in their life, have been freed from the penalty of sin and because of the spirit's work in their life have power to say no to the evil desires of their heart which war against their soul so they can live victorious and yet day after day they have to throw themselves on Jesus and say empower me by your spirit because I know the weakness of my flesh and these desires still war against my soul and unless I walk in the spirit's power I will fail and they are waiting for the not yetness to come, right? For the whenever they're not just saved from sin's penalty, they're not just saved from sin's power, but they're saved from sin's presence, where the day of temptation will no longer be coming, knocking on their door, and they will once again be totally free, not just from the power and penalty of sin, but from the presence of sin. But in the meantime, they're going to live the life of the Spirit victorious, but they know there's a not yetness where what's warring against their soul will finally be delivered from their lives. And yet other people, they get prayer and they don't ever struggle with it again. Wouldn't we all like that? The now. I'm just giving you some examples of how the now and not yetness play. Are you guys following me? I'm going to close with one story and then we're going to take communion. It's my final word. What does it look like to follow Jesus? I was in the middle of my sister's illness with leukemia. I remember I was going home for Christmas. And as we were going home, I was listening to a cassette tape. You guys remember those? Remember those cassette tapes? College students, I'll show you one later. We'll talk about that. I was listening to a cassette tape on the kingdom of God. And the now and not yetness of the kingdom of God and and I just sat there and I felt like it was a holy moment where the Holy Spirit began to give me an image in my heart that's helped me for the last dozen years and I want to hope it will help you. And what this image did is it took my experience of the now and not yetness of the kingdom from one of tension and ambiguity and added to the mix thanksgiving. That, it, it, that I can major now in the thanksgiving and, and not in the tension and ambiguity. Let me explain this to you the picture was this imagine yourself going to a a wedding banquet at a five-star hotel okay and it's like the I don't know it's like the middle of January it's the doldrums of the winter and it is brutal outside I mean it is a day of like it is nasty it is freezing rain the wind is whipping it is so cold, and so you walk up to this five-star hotel, you, there's these glass double doors that you walk into, and immediately when you walk into the, the banquet of the, the, the large atrium, you walk in, and you look around, and two things that you observe. One, you're out of the elements. It's warm in here. You take your jacket, and you look around, and over here there's like this grand piano with a dude playing uh, the piano with a tuxedo on. You're like, oh, that's, that sounds good. I like that. And then you look around, and there's people who are, who are laughing, and they're eating appetizers in the atrium, and they're sipping sparkling cider. Ha, 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 you know. And everybody's mingling, and, and the grand piano's playing glorious music, and, he, and you're like, wow, the party has started. Like, where do I get me some of those appetizers? I want some sparkling cider. I want to go and enjoy fellowship with people and enjoy the night i'm so thankful i'm out of the elements okay now how many people know at that point the party started you're living in the party you're experiencing the good news the party are you guys following me yet everyone there knows that at any moment these large majestic royal oak doors to the ballroom 
are going to swing open at any moment. And everybody's like peeking over there. Are the doors open yet? Because here's what everybody knows. Everybody knows when those large, majestic, royal oak doors open, the different sets of them, that the ballroom is going to be open and everybody's moving to the ballroom and the party's going to a whole new level. You're going to eat the best meal of your life. You're going to sit in the most comfortable chairs that you've ever sat in. And when the meal is over, there's going to be the most glorious music. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be joy. And everybody's going to be out on the dance floor partying, celebrating what's going on. And yet, Here's what they know. They know that the moment those oak doors open, the glass doors lock. Because this, the other side of the, of, of the oak doors opening is that the glass doors lock and that everybody on the other side of the glass doors will face judgment. Because that's the other side of the coin of the consummation of the kingdom of God. Is that when the party goes to another level, when we live in the fruition of all that God has for us, there's judgment here. And when I started to think about this, I said, oh, praise God that in his marvelous wisdom, he made a way that it wouldn't be like this, but that we could live in the praise. We could live now in the age to come and that people could come in, come in. They could, we could go and hold the doors open. Get in here, get in here. The party started. Come on, eat the appetizers, drink the punch, communicate, commune with each other, fellowship with each other, right? Drink the punch. Okay, that's probably a bad line, but the sparkling cider, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Are you guys following me? That somehow... In the marvelous wisdom of God, while there's tension and ambiguity in this in-between age, we see the goodness of God that he invaded this present age and allowed us to experience the goodness of the kingdom now, today, when we go home. And yet, in the mercies of God, he delayed the judgment. In the mercies of God... He's giving more people an opportunity to step into his kingdom. And so we can thank God that the kingdom is now. We can thank God that he is patient, that he is willing, that none should perish. So more people can come in the glass doors. So more people can join the party before it goes to a whole nother level. And so we can thank God. And yes, there's tension and ambiguity. But when I sat there in the car and I thought of this image, my heart went from one of frustration of why is my sister dying of cancer to one of thanksgiving. You know what? I don't understand it all. I thank God the kingdom is now and he can still invade her life. He can still heal her. But if he doesn't, I will still receive it because I can be thankful that in the mercies of God, people can step into his kingdom and that it may be frustrating. It, there may be tension, but it's the goodness of God that we can experience the kingdom now in the mercies of God that people can still come in. What kind of God would devise such a plan? Oh, the wisdom of God, the riches of his mercy, and the glory of his kingdom. All right. The now and not yetness of the kingdom of God. Your world and wheat and weeds. Will you stand? you're here today and you aren't following Jesus you're not in his kingdom you're not under his rule and reign how do you enter the, John the Baptist told us how to enter Jesus told us how to enter his disciples told us how to enter there's just one word that's easy to say it's hard to do but this is how you get in you repent you stop fundamentally living for your own kingdom and start living under his rule and reign. 
And what happens when you do that? When you, when you turn around towards Jesus, you walk through those glass doors, you realize that those glass doors are stained by the sacrifice of Jesus. That the only reason why those glass doors can open is because there's been a sacrifice so you could enter into the party now. Not when you die now. For those of you don't know Jesus, I encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. What more much? We don't know when the consummation is coming. Today is the day of salvation, is what the New Testament says. For those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, how do you live this out? Let me tell you how you live out the kingdom now. You pray for God's kingdom to come now. The next time you're faced with something seems insurmountable, say, no, 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 it's not insurmountable. The kingdom of God is now. So I'm going to pray for the rule and reign of God in this situation because anything can happen. All bets are off. The Spirit has been lavished upon his people. What else do you do? You live in the tension with a thankful heart. And when you face your tension, understand it's the mercies of God for other people. And finally, what is the church to be? The church is to be an outpost of the age to come in the present age. When we come together, people are to experience heaven on earth. When we come together, our relationships, our lives, our joy is to be so different than when people interact with us. They experience heaven on earth, the age to come, invaded into this age and it's a place of hope in fact the bible says we are ambassadors for the kingdom that when we come together they should experience what it's like in heaven in the age to come that's the kingdom of god so will you be an ambassador who's pleading with people to get in the doors now's the day of salvation get in the doors we beseech you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're going to close with communion. If you have not received the communion elements, we've got people here, just raise your hand and they will be happy to serve you. we often use to set the table for communion Paul says this in verse 26 he speaks about how the bread is in remembrance of the body of Christ that was given how the cup is remembrance of the blood of Christ that was shed and then he says this For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion here in just a few seconds, we're doing two things. We are remembering the initiation of the kingdom of God in human history through the blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ, what sets something in motion that is an unstoppable force that guarantees its its consummation in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So we look back at the initiation, and then it says we look forward to the consummation. We remember the Lord's death until he comes. When we will have the the marriage supper of the Lamb. That this is like the, the appetizer, the teaser of the marriage supper that's on its way. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God. Who has been your counselor? Who could be your advisor? Lord, we are so grateful that 
that you initiated the kingdom of God so we could today live under the rule and reign of God. Through the body of Christ that was given and the blood that was shed for the remission of our sins, that we could experience new life now, that we could live in the spirit now, that we could live in victory now. And yet, Lord, with great anticipation, we look forward to the not yet. Thank you, Lord. Let's take the bread. that was given. You took the wrath so we could receive the blessing. The blessing of the goodness of the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for the blood that was shed. For the remission of our sins. It was your life so that we could have life. so grateful for the costly initiation of the kingdom in our lives. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take of the cup. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to have Callie lead us for just a moment. I'll come back and give a benediction. Let's worship this God who brought his kingdom into our lives.
to let your name be lifted higher. I feel like we need to end on celebration. Let's, if that, let your name be lifted higher. It's like, let your kingdom come. Yeah? Can we do that? So let's do it. So let your name be lifted come on. higher.
faithful. And you are faithful in all of your ways. You are faithful in all of your ways. You are faithful in all of your ways to us. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am. 